2: Who's typing like a madman?
1: Oh that's me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Trying out all those sweet, sweet keyboard shortcuts. That's what he's doing.
0: Um, you know, yeah. this is this is the problem with Slack. Slack can come in at any time and sometimes sure.
2: So, hey everybody! Welcome to episode 190 of More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. All already. So, we just have a quick little uh, ask, sort of ask MTJC or an MTJC follow up um, on Twitter. Victoria Herrick, who says, "Wait, a little house trivia. I'll gladly go toe to toe with you, and you won't win. So, I'm not taking on that." Challenge. Challenge. I said last week I I wouldn't be able to handle handle it, but uh, yeah, maybe we, we've
0: already exhausted all of the little house trivia that I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, it was a TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe she she wants to take on Joe. Yeah, maybe uh, who who tweeted us last week. So that may be the case. Well, good luck to you, Joe. Um, all right. So um, next one is uh, Greg. Uh, give us some follow up. Uh, sort of follow up. Sort of ask MTJC. We were talking about the YouTube monetization rules. So we were talking about the tragic death. Of people at YouTube and uh, what caused it, and it was apparently that YouTube had said they weren't going to support the uh, the woman who decided, did the shooting. I think she, she took her own life, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, Greg did post here that uh, he found, and I think Jaime replied as well that um, the the new threshold is you have to have four thousand hours of watch time over the past twelve months, and as well, oh, the old rule was ten thousand views. Was oh, this an update? I'm not, I'm not following this, Jaime. Do you want, you want Yeah, to so
1: I. Struggled my best to come up with what I vaguely remembered as the requirements that Facebook had updated. Sorry, YouTube had updated, and uh, it wasn't the old rule of 10,000 video views, which is probably all time, but more of a difficult sliding window of 4,000 hours of watch time over the last 12 months. Yeah, so you would have to remain be popular, right? yeah, remain popular exactly. Yeah,
2: right, right. And I guess she must not have fallen under that um...
0: and and keep people watching for a reasonable amount of time. You could have 10,000 video views that were. You Know, two seconds of long piece because you have some crap yeah, up there right and uh, and that wouldn't get you to the minimum amount of watch time right right
2: cool all right another piece of follow-up here we were talking about last week or two weeks ago I think about IBM Watson and Apple's Im- implementation well so uh, spoilers for the rest of the show but we're I was in the um, machine learning uh, workshop at uh, RW DevCon and Audrey mentioned that uh, or she gave us had a slide on the screen that showed that um, in fact when you're using IBM's Watson uh, with a core ML model, um, the API actually sends back uh, data back to IBM Watson. So it does in fact update your core ML model on the fly, which is kind of cool. So we were wondering about like, how would they, would you have to re-download you know re-download it or whatever? But apparently that's that's one of the cool things about using IBM Watson is, is that as you're using the app, it's also learning and then updating your core ML library, which is kind of cool.
1: Interesting. So and nice. I've got to learn cool. more about that because I just assumed it was bare bones, train, download the model, have some sort of, you know, collect your analytics, send it back up to retrain, re download, and then keep going on the
2: cycle. Yeah, this one sounds more like a feedback loop, right? Like, uh, like yeah, go- going back th- up.
0: There are some types of models that you can update in real time. Yes, you know, more like Bayesian type models as opposed to training the whole thing at once with just an enormous amount of data. Uh, some other kinds of models you can you can have them constantly updating. I, I, didn't, right, right. I didn't know that Quermo supported those, but it's great that it does.
2: Well, and this may, be, and of course, this is IBM and Apple working together, so you know yeah. they've probably made some special hooks or whatever for that kind of thing, right? That maybe that'll come out in WWDC. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I won't be there to find out. I will let you know. <laughs> I'll be watching on the video. You'll be there all for right.
0: uh, AltConf, though, right? Uh,
2: Wait, no, I, no,
1: but no,
2: no, I won't. But uh, but I'll be I'll be uh, watching the videos as they come out. You know, as I
1: do every year. So, mm-hmm. all right.
2: So, Jaime, you got something here?
1: Yeah. This this is a follow up that itself has follow up. So way back long ago, you may. Remember remember us talking about twitter changing its api rules right. where they yeah. sort of had the preferred quadrants of hey if you're something like a twitterific or any other sort of twitter client we kind of don't want you to hang around so we're going to limit how many users you can have and we'll grandfather some folks in um but the sort of the writing was on the wall that twitter didn't want anything other than the official client to be around them um, it's taken longer than i had thought it would but uh, this post apps of a by the presumed folks from Talon, TweetBot, Tweetings, and Twitterific are very concerned because as of the time that this blog post was written and Twitter had said like, hey, after June 19th, 2018, streaming services at Twitter will be removed. Uh, this means two things for third-party apps that you won't get push notifications for activity on Twitter and timelines won't refresh automatically. So it basically we'll have a very not happy experience with those. And so the uh, the request from these folks was to use hashtag breaking my Twitter. And I definitely saw tons of people tweeting about this and then maybe a few hours later there's this article on the verge where um, there's been an update from twitter where they're still gonna do what they said they were gonna do but they uh, apparently won't deprecate those services on june 19th it's still tbd as to when exactly that will happen but that twitter's uh, developer relations will provide at least 90 days notice for when the the new account activity API becomes generally available hmm. to when these changes will go into place
2: yeah this is really weird because I mean like the Twitter app has also gone away the Mac app right um, I don't know if we, we hadn't talked about that but it's kind of weird that they're making all these changes what do you th- what do you suppose it's about
1: ads uh-huh. oh because if you go to a third party you can skip out the ads right yep yeah uh, I, I guess I don't fully understand part of that because I never understood why you know from a personality perspective why Twitter wouldn't just like dangle your API key in front of you And be like, look, you got to show the ads. And if you don't, we'll just cut you off at some random time. Like, if you wanted to ensure, by like, by rule of of, of force, that uh, that they had to show ads.
2: Mm. But it, but it could be like a metrics thing because they can't. They mo- have to. They monetize by you know the eyeballs looking
1: at the ads, right?
2: And if they send it off to a third party, how can they be guaranteed, or how can the adv- advertisers be guaranteed that those were actual views?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're both right that it probably is around ads and views. And you know, I, it also takes manpower.
2: To maintain
0: the, the SDK or the API, rather.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not getting paid for it, why would they? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, but again, it, it doesn't explain why the Mac app went away. Maybe it was just that low adoption or people just weren't using it. What do you think? About the, or it was just hard to do? Oh,
0: I, I guess, although I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I, but I would guess that it's just a matter of, uh, we've got, you know, X numbers of users u- using it on the web on the Mac and a much smaller number of users using a client. Uh, app, a native app. So why don't we just have them have everyone use the web and you know, cut down on our development cost?
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure, I guess iOS is probably or iOS and Android probably the two most popular ways to get it these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's really I don't know. Like maybe I come from a very particular perspective because you know years ago when when Twitter made that uh, rules of the road I think blog post it was where they yeah yeah you know they they said hey you shouldn't do this anymore. I switched over. Over to the official twitter client because i felt like well you know it's not as good as these other ones but at least i know it'll do everything that twitter offers um and that it won't be a second class citizen and so this whole time for however many years that's been i've been using it and yeah like i'm, I'm sure there are very nice things about twitter effect and tweetbot and all these other bits but um, even though they had nice you know features that had usability aspects they were always in my humble opinion really broken experiences like you would tweet with someone they'd be like oh what i can't see that Oh, you don't you don't see the special Star Wars emoji? You you don't get multi-party direct messages like you've not been part of this conversation the whole time. We thought you just weren't commenting, like and so on and so forth. Right? Like Twitter like clearly did not want to invest anything in that for a long time. So always found it weird that people were jumping onto these third-party clients when, in my mind, the the writing was on the wall. Look, they don't want you to develop this. They apparently believe the PR is too bad to immediately cut it off, so they're waiting till three, four, six however many years later it is um, very very odd
2: yeah and I suppose from their perspective it was like the not not the
0: best experience but uh. yeah yeah you know when I somewhat cynically say ads is the is the reason I I still believe that's the dominant reason but there probably is a second I'll give them some credit and say there's a secondary reason that they want to make sure that there's a quality experience for their users Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: yeah and I'll be honest with you look I mean um, it's funny how the ads work on Twitter because I do actually look at them and kind of go oh that's interesting and then I noticed, oh it's promoted you know I mean sometimes I follow them and you know today there was like ironically there was one for the Stanley Cup playoffs starts today and there was a uh, one that if you get a free insurance quote from this company in Waterloo you get uh, you know entered into this contest and, that, and then I noticed it was a promoted one right but I just thought it was some you know somebody just tagging on to the, the playoffs thing I, I don't know if you guys what it's like for you guys down there but they released the uh, playoff tickets to the Leaf fans um, this week or just the other day, I guess, and there was like 90 tickets available for, for like the public because they'd all been grabbed up by season ticket holders and various other... Wait, nefarious... did the Maple
0: Leafs make the playoffs this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. they did.
2: Apparently, I don't know I haven't been following hockey much these these days, but but uh wow. That is that's a big that's that in itself. Was, we should have led with that. That should have been the, the main story, but no, my point was that there was only <laughs> like out of out of 20,000 seats or 30,000 seats or whatever it is, like there there only 90 tickets were available. Like does, doesn't it strike you as a sort of an odd imbalance, you know? Yeah. Anyway, whatever. I got to see the last at least play in the playoffs once like I don't know 10 years ago. Very exciting. Hmm. Um anyway, let's move on. um uh, so, another one, Jaime, from you yeah very
1: quick uh continuing the tradition of, of having the product red phones that help uh fund the fight against hiv and aids apple has added a special edition product red for the iphone 8 and 8 plus they look really spiffy and they really learned from last year's complaints so instead of having a uh, a white panel on front it's a black panel on the front uh, it still continues to be a very luscious looking red uh, on the back the glass back for these devices
2: right yeah yeah that's, that's carol's favorite color red too um just Let's have a sidebar for a second. So, so another thing we didn't talk about. And I'm just curious though whether there was any other products announced recently, officially or unofficially or whatever. But um, I was having a discussion with a couple of guys on Twitter yesterday about the multi-core Mac Pros coming out, like with eight apparently eight and twelve cores. You guys are aware of those coming, right? In 2019, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was a discussion about Xcode compiling. You know, whether it would be better to have. You was know, it twenty? Or yeah, twenty cores and twelve cores—is that what's coming out? Do you guys know? Because currently there's eight, right, in the in Mac
1: Pro. Yeah, I haven't seen any stats on this, so I'm definitely in, in the dark around specifics other than Mac Pro 2019.
2: Yeah. So what I remember from the, when the multi cores first came out in the in the Cheese Grater Max was that um, an application had to be written to take advantage of multi-cores. In other words, like things like Photoshop and video editing applications that would have either a plug-in or or were designed to use multiple cores. Um, otherwise, otherwise, whatever app you're running would use a single core, right, or a single thread. Not
0: maybe not thread, but single core. Um, but um, well, it is it is tied to thread. So so essentially, GCD enables using multiple cores automatically. Now, right. So came out, but that might have been before GCD, right?
2: Right. Yeah. No, it definitely was. Yeah. Because that was back when I was a reseller. Um, but yeah. the so so I did a little bit of looking around, and I, and I noticed that you know like some some. People people had noted that if you were compiling objective C and you had a pre-compiled header you had to, you had to wait for that pre-compiled header to be fully compiled before the rest of the compil- compilation would start on the other parts of the app yeah. and I also read somewhere else that um, in the case of Swift you basically can compile one Swift class at a time so in other words if you had an eight core machine theoretically you could you could do eight um, eight classes at a time but the and and if you remember we had that LinkedIn um, article we talked about last year where they talked about they did a a comparison between a MacBook Pro, a Mac Mini, a, a Mac Pro with multiple cores, and it was the multiple core was actually slower at compiling than a Mac Mini? Remember that yeah, one?
0: there was a while when Xcode was only running on a single thread for whatever reason. Right, right, right. Uh, right. I believe that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Uh, but certain things for sure are going to be limited, like um, a storyboard, for example. If you just have one big storyboard, it's yeah. a bit it's one big XML file, right? So, Right, right. So it's kind of hard to split that up amongst multiple cores. Uh, so you have to wait for that, for it to process that one file all on a single thread. Uh, so that won't be helped. But if it's broken up into multiple storyboards, then in theory, Xcode could process them on multiple threads. So so that oh, would be helped. True, yeah. uh, if you do, if you have a lot of files to compile, that's something that very easily can be, can be done uh, on multiple, multiple threads. So it kind of, kind of depends Depends on, on, the, on, on the nature of your application in, in many ways.
2: Right. Well, Gene Goikma, who was having conversation with me about this on Twitter, uh, finished off my discussion with him by saying that 9.3 is supposed to have to paralyze Swift builds better than uh, previous ones. But, you know, we hmm. will have to sort of mm-hmm. wait and see until we can get our hands on, or somebody can get their hands on a machine and try it out, right? So
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Swift does have this weird thing of, of you know, every module, sorry, every file in, in the module is aware, of all the other files, right, right. Uh, so, so every you know every class knows about every other class. So there's no concept of importing or forward references or something like that that are kind of hints to the compiler about what's going on without having to actually go through all the work before that. So I don't know how Swift handles that. Uh, it, they must have a way because because in other words, uh, in so in Objective C <coughs> or C in general, when you had these forward references uh, in your header file, if you reference another class that hasn't been compiled yet because you have a header file and a forward reference there, you know what the interface to that class is without it having compiled that class. So you can do them independently. But in mm-hmm. Swift, you don't have that in an obvious way. Uh, so yeah. So like I said, I don't know how it handles it under the hood. It must handle it in some way, hmm. but I don't know how it does. Does that make right. sense what I was saying?
1: Yeah. 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 yeah there's some things that I, I constantly wonder as we're going through the migration to Swift 4.1 and Xcode 9.3. And there's just some weird things that we We've been doing um, compilation time tests, and we've got some solutions for some of the the hot spots. But we're all wondering, like, wait, is is this particular to this version of Swift, or is this some sort of limit on the state-of-the-art for compilers in general? And since Swift changes so dramatically from version to version, it's a little hard to tell.
2: But I do recall there being some, some optimizations. Com- was, was it uh, in the latest um, Swift 4? Um, oh, I think I'm thinking of the fact that Swift would be able to cache the builds better. or Sorry, uh, Xcode would cache the builds better for Swift classes. Remember how Swift classes were really slow in 3 and so forth? I mean, th- Swift compiling general it was really slow mm-hmm. and that uh, i think last year they came up with a way of of um kind of like a pre-compiled header they would they would um they would compile parts of the app and then so on subsequent you know builds it would remember that you had already built the, a particular file if you hadn't modified it right and it would just use the cached version do you not remember that
1: yes i do remember us talking about that that does sound familiar
2: it's a new feature last year at WWDC, but i don't think i've ever sort of really noticed it but uh anywho well let's keep an eye on it. This literally just in um, about an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, I guess, um, Bloomberg announced, uh, posted an article that Apple has lowered the HomePod forecast because I guess the sales are not quite where they expected them to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, this this is just Bloomberg. Who knows where they get their information from and uh, what they're saying, what they're speculating on. But um, I think they basically said that the pre-orders were good, um, but uh, they really haven't been flying off the shelves, I guess, right?
0: Yikes, selling fewer than 10 HomePods a day. Mm -hmm.
1: I, I, I interpret that to mean it. At, at Apple store locations, not, not 10 nationwide Ten dollar, or, or, or 10, <laughs> Huge uh, Apple store.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I there's just like one Apple store that's really good at selling them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, everybody I know who's got, who grabbed them,
2: like, I guess there were a lot of early adopters, but those who did said they're great. Right. Jaime, you like yours, right?
1: Yeah. And and I think that's the thing though, right? It's, it's early adopters, people who, who love this sort of thing and, and have a, a strong interest, but let's be honest, it's an Expensive product, like, and that yeah, was always the yeah. case compared to its competitors. Um, I, I love the way it sounds; it's definitely worth the money. But you know, when you're checking the list prices, it's definitely more expensive. And it's also a half-baked product, right? Like they dramatically cut scope to get this thing out the door. And we were talking about just last week, like, oh, if you thought AirPlay Two is going to be in iOS 11.3, nope, it's not. Right, right, yeah. It's in 11.4 beta. Hopefully, it makes it before you know iOS 12 comes out. But uh, it definitely has not had the best start. But doesn't mean necessarily anything for longer term but i think it means in my mind like they really need to reinvigorate that story come wwz keynote time or with some sort of a follow-on product that's like all right we don't want the 350 model would you like a 200 hundred dollar model that's you know still just as good but you know not quite as expensive
0: when did this model come out i forget was it before the holidays last year
1: the home pod was scheduled to come out in december of 2017 yeah. it didn't come out till february i can't uh, okay. remember how yeah, long so it's it's it had february or problems. early march yeah,
2: yeah. Not that long ago, like four or five episodes ago. you guys have seen the the uh, lecture by Simon Sinek uh, on his book, Start With Why, where he draws a curve and it's like a bell curve. And he says like the first, you know, 5 or 10 percent are the early adopters or the people who really, you know, make the, the initial slope of the curve really sharp and steep, like the hockey stick curve. Right. And then there's that hump where, you know, you get the, the majority of people are uh, at the top of the bell curve. And I don't think we've got there yet where, where the HomePod becomes, you know, um, something that everybody gets, like, you know, everybody has to have one and that kind of stuff, kind of like the Google uh, Home devices did over the Christmas holidays, right, or the holidays, um, and Lexus as well, right, or the pretty cool, no, Echo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've kind of become, everybody kind of has one now. And, and you know, the late adopters on the other side of the bell curve are the people who are still using flip phones and stuff like that, right? It takes a long time for those people to get them. But So I think the HomePod is still in that early sort of uh, slope of, of early adopters where, you know, we'll, we get them because we like Apple stuff and they're shiny, and you know, so on and so forth, right? Um, but you know, until they, until it reaches the sort of middle ground of, of you know the the main public, the ones that aren't necessarily Apple Apple fans per se, right? Um, that's where the HomePod will start to to either it, either it'll get there or it won't. I mean, you know, um, Apple's had lots of boomboxes in the past that are, that are no longer around, and you know, they've had their share of road apples, as it were, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is really not unexpected, I guess. I mean, you know, for like everything else, every new product. Has has a, a burst at the beginning and yeah. if it's if it's a, a big hit then it just keeps going but otherwise it drops off and people wait around for product number two so yeah that's yeah. probably all that's happening here sure sure it's, yeah it's uh it's unfortunate if apple uh overestimated the demand and now are stuck with a bunch of hardware that uh or inventory that that they can't sell but you know if they did well that's <laughs> that's their fault
1: <laughs> when they yeah. start passing them out to wwdc attendees yeah you know, I'll yeah one. look no,
2: under seat yeah
1: (laughs) or they have to drop the price if they want to get rid of it true so that's an interesting one so i think uh this might end up being like the apple watch kind of a slow burn getting off the ground pretty you know pretty decent success i wouldn't call it a huge success it's not you know nothing is iphone um it's not even ipad but it it really seemed to, to turn the corner around the time series 2 came out and not because of series 2 but because they came out with series 1 that was like hey it's 269 oh oh you Dropped off eighty dollars. That's that started to become reasonable. It feels like that was a time when people really started to to wear them beyond the early adopters.
2: Yeah, you know I, the thing about the thing about the. I, I mean, I know you use the iPhone analogy there, but and and I know that the iPhone initially and Mark, you'll back me up on this. Back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you know, initially it was seen. It was you know, it was called the Jesus phone, and it was like you know, everybody was like there was a lot of buzz around it, but not lot a lot of people bought them. I mean, initially, right? People still had Blackberries. They still had Nokia's. They still you know had flip phones and motor rollers and so on and so forth and it was because I mean I, I was looking around to see who was using these things and and I mean I don't know it was like California but here in Canada it was like a long time before it was a long time I remember the first iPhone I saw you know um, and you know but it took a long time before people started using them regularly right and then well, they were hard to it, find back then
0: that's true remember I so well, I remember when I bought my first iPhone which was a 3G so it's the second model right I uh, I remember saying to myself, "I think I'll get an iPhone." So I went to the Apple Store, not even thinking about it, and finding out that no, they didn't have any in stock, and uh, they had no idea when they were going to get any in, and there was already a waiting list, and it was like that everywhere. It turned out so there were websites at the time where you could go and and they would have like real time updates that this Apple Store has has this model in stock, and you know, if right, you were lucky, right. you could get down there in time to buy one before they got sold out. So so the the supply was I don't know if it was was intentionally kept low or, or if they just Apple just underestimated the demand it was it was just Maybe. Really, really hard to find them at the time
2: but, but was that was that like when the when the 3G had just gotten released because because initially they were always they were always scarce the new models were always scarce when they yeah. came out that was true of any Mac product right yeah
0: yeah uh, but it is true what you're saying that you know back then the the world was dominated by Blackberry and even Windows Phone back then and yeah, I remember yeah. some of my my CC uh, yeah my Windows Phone friends kind of laughing about oh this new iPhones, what a fad that is! And you know, Windows yep. Phone is the real device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I use it with my Zoom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, there were even phones that had iTunes support in them. Like a, a friend of mine had a Motorola that was just like a like a little tiny screen, and it apparently had ability to have iTunes. Or it was like an iPod. You know, it, it wasn't an iPod branded, but it had the ability to have MP3s in it and stuff like that. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it, it wasn't. Well, my point is, that it wasn't. It, it didn't take it wasn't that uh, it wasn't in demand, it was in demand, but it took a long time before it became ubiquitous before that, you know, the middle ground people that weren't necessarily, you know, the ones that don't have Apple to tattoos on their arm. Right. Yeah. That would start buying these things when your mom would buy an iPhone, an iPhone, you know, kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure. I mean, there, you know, there was a time even when I was, when I was developing like back in, you know, like 2010, where you would try to find for some third party library, try to find the iOS SDK or the, IOS right, API yeah. and it just didn't exist. You know, you had to take these, you know, a uh, uh, web API and, and wrap it in some, you know, something that you built by hand to make it work. Uh, so, yeah, for sure, there was there was definitely not support for for the iPhone for a while after that, and then it, then it kind of changed. Uh, and it must have been you know a year or two after that that there was some kind of a inflection point where all of a sudden people were developing for for the iPhone first, and, and then you know then everything else after.
2: Sure, and like I said, when I joined the bank, I was actually surprised to see. You know, when I go to meetups and stuff like that, you know, there'd be like twenty of us in the room with with Apple watches on. And when I when I joined the bank, I was actually surprised to see how many people actually had Apple watches. A lot of people still had at that point in time, you know, the the big round what was that Moto watch or whatever the Android mm-hmm. one, yeah, and the you Moto three hundred and sixty, yeah, yeah. So so you know, but but you know, you'd see like you know, quite a few people. I mean, maybe 20, 25 percent of the people there had Apple watches, which was amazing. Now it's like everybody's got one, right? So. Um, and that's not quite true, but, but the thing is that, you know, like you see them a lot and I, I, I kind of notice now when I see someone who doesn't have an Apple watch on kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of, I'm not, like, cause I'm not comparing the, the HomePod to the iPod iPhone by any stretch, but you know, I'm, but like Kami said earlier, it is more like the watch. It's a bit, uh, it's, it's going to take a, it's, it's a slow burn and, and, you know, we might, it might be home uh, HomePod two or HomePod three that actually becomes the, the home device that everybody seems
0: to have. Yeah, I, I think cost is a big factor. I mean, the the original iPhone, or or back in the early days, the iPhone cost a couple hundred bucks with the subsidies.
2: Sure, yeah, and it
0: could do a whole lot more than than the HomePod can do. Let's be honest.
2: That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it was like the internet, a phone, right. and an iPod right. in your pocket, right. <laughs> and you could play games. <laughs> internet, a phone, and an iPod. Yeah, and you could play. Well, it wasn't couldn't play games on it first,
0: but yeah. Well, you could. It just they might not have been that great, but you could still do it in the first
2: Generation? That was a year before Apple let third parties on. They didn't have a snake on there, man.
0: Oh, you're talking about, oh, okay. <laughs> the original iPhone. Yeah, iPhone. Yeah,
2: iPhone. yeah. Yeah, sure. I was mimicking Steve Jobs there. But anyway. Yeah, 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 Um, So, Jaime, this next one is you,
1: definitely. Yes. So, if you have a HomePod, it's 50% <laughs> less useful uh, if you're not using Apple Music. And that's the next topic, which is uh, this article on The Verge that says Apple Music now has 40 million subscribers and a new boss. because Jimmy Iovine. is is moving on so apple music Hmm. according to variety uh, has broken the 40 million subscriber mark where back in 2017 uh, september 2017 they had just crossed the 30 million subscribers mark so they're they're moving it quite a clip Hmm. really they have a a new Hmm. boss in oliver schusser 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 yeah who'll be who will be running that that side of things so they're uh, Spotify in the intervening time I don't know that we mentioned that they've uh, IPO'd and or sorry they've gone public I guess and they have uh, 70 million paid subscribers around the world right but uh, they definitely started with a huge head start so there's there's definitely advantages to having the um you know built into the platform sort of thing that Apple has and this is where I'm a strong believer that if, if Apple can open up Apple music e- even more so in terms of you know API access and other things that people can build upon for helping you know manage your lists and Find music and stuff. I, I think that would be great for developers. And that's one of my dark horse things that I want to see at WWDC. I don't, sure, I don't think okay. it's too likely, but it would be one that would make sense to me.
2: So this raises two questions. One is about Spotify, which just went public, didn't they? They just do their IPO? Yep. Yeah, and so they have $70 million. So they've got a, a head start on Apple in that sense. But I, what do you think about them long-term? Do you think Apple will eventually eat their lunch? I don't
0: know enough about mm. their business model.
2: Well, yeah, they're, it's, it's, I think it's very similar to Apple. It's sort of a, you pay so much per month. sort of the Netflix model, you know, you pay so much per month and you have access to all the tunes, right? And and But like Jaime said, you can make lists and you can have playlists and stuff like that, right? And you can publish them and so on and so forth, right? I'm not sure you can yeah. do the same thing on Apple Music.
1: And what we're t- talking about here, to be clear is Spotify's paid subscribers is 70 million their their overall subscribers is much larger because they do have a free tier and, and Apple Music does not
2: yeah that, uh, to be honest with you I don't mind see I'm one of these people I don't listen to Spotify all the time I know people who have it on their, their devices and they run it all day long like a radio kind of thing but for me I don't mind listening to the odd album here and there and or you know part of a play mix just to listen to ads or whatever because I, I don't use it that often so I've never really sort of bit the bullet and got a subscription right and, and they're comparable in terms of
1: pricing, right? Like, I think they're, they're roughly pretty, the same. Pretty close. It, yeah. It's like nine ninety nine US for Apple Music a month, and then the, I think it's around the same for, for Spotify yeah. Premium. Yeah. The
2: other side of the question for me is I'm looking at this number 40 million. What, there's 300 million of you US guys down there south of me, right? Mm-hmm. Roughly, yeah. Like, 40 million would be a big number in Canada, but it's not so big in the United States in the grand scheme of things, right? It's like ten, a little bit over
1: 10%.
0: Yeah. 10% of the whole country is still a pretty big number. You think, yeah? Yeah, yeah that's,
1: that's pretty... Pretty popular for something in the United States. Um, I mean, you, so you'd asked a question about longer term. I, I was sort of on the downside of, of belief in, in Spotify. I mean, I, I think they will have to pivot some of their business because right now they basically are completely beholden to the content providers, right? The the labels. So this is sort of like where Netflix was a few years ago when they didn't produce any of their own stuff and completely beholden right, right, to yeah. the the TV and, and movie studios. And Netflix right so learned from that and created its own stuff. I, I think Spotify maybe could try that by building its own independent label and becoming less dependent. But I think the the style of consumption for music versus video content is, is so different that I, I don't feel very strongly that it will succeed. So then it becomes a race to the bottom of, hey, you know what? Virgin Records wants 20% more of a cut. Apple's like, sure, why not? Like, <laughs> like we, we try to make some money on Apple Music, but we're basically using it as a way to sell iPhones. And Spotify's like, <laughs> Like, oh oh are we less profitable now that's a terrible place to be
2: yeah yeah so you can do video on apple music as well
1: do you know? yes so weirdly they do have video content like carpool karaoke and yeah well, strombo does a show on apple music right so oh i
2: didn't know that yes yeah, the house of strombo has a show on apple music they've had like like a episodes.
1: video to be clear video or like an audio yeah like video a yeah station? yeah so
2: so like you know if you go see like you know the i think the they've done eight episodes or more i think uh like they did a season of episodes uh, last year. Those shows that I went to at their Hatties House that were taped, they were they were in there. Um, but I don't have an Apple Music account, so I really can't check. But um, but I'm looking here at this last paragraph in this this article, which we'll have in the show notes, um, says that Apple is on pace to top Spotify in the U.S. by this summer based on their growth. So um, Apple's growing at 5% per month, where Spotify is only 2% per month. So it does look like uh, Spotify is um, going to have a bit of a challenge coming, coming very soon, right?
1: Yeah, I, I do wonder that was a really weird way to to sort of slice the data where i mean spotify originating europe it probably has a a home field advantage there Um, oh yeah yeah and i I guess when they came to the u.s you know they were certainly fans i saw them posting stuff on facebook or automatically posting stuff to to grow the the spotify brand but it
2: sure yeah it
1: doesn't seem to have taken root here probably because there's no sort of like national pride in it or it doesn't quite reach the american audience you know as effectively as it does the european audience
2: Hmm. yeah funny I, i and there are other services like this around, like um, i got a couple of them through my cable provider, um, and I think one of them through my wireless provider too, so Rogers, that kind of stuff, right? Where there's, uh, I guess I'm in Rogers both, in both cases, but uh, there are some free music services that they're putting out there. But uh, you know, I, if if you ask me about music services, I would think Spotify and, and Apple would come out number one and two, and then maybe Pandora would be number three, right? So. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also Amazon
1: Music. Amazon,
2: Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Google has their own. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Google has been too, right? Okay,
1: they do. Yeah, that's where I I sort of struggle to think like, how can somebody who only you know streams music like a Spotify and they don't own their own content, how can they live long term when they have everybody with super deep pockets? Yeah, that is attacking them from all angles. Like I think it can be done, but they will have to be brilliant at it. Either
0: yeah, semi pivoting away as a loss leader essentially, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, and. If, if you're depending on it for your entire revenue stream, you're kind of kind of in trouble. Cool.
2: All right. Well, one last so, thing. We, uh, I forgot to mention this in the, um, or paste this in when we were doing our follow-up, but uh, Konstantin Martinov um, posted about, uh, we were, I think we talked about HTTP 400 and 401. Uh, he said, just as 400 is a bad request, and yep. uh, HTTP 401 is an unauthorized request, or you're unauthorized. Yeah,
0: I think I had said that uh, I was getting a 400 and thought it might've been an unauthorized, but I don't sure, remember. yeah, Looked it up right after the podcast, of course, but by then it was too late.
2: Yeah. And he, his last comment was, it's also the name of a famously crappy highway. I think he's referring to the 401 here in, in Ontario, unless it's a 401 mm. down in the state somewhere. But I also pointed out the 400 is also equally bad because it's just as bad. It runs north-south as opposed to east-west. Um, yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. As far as I know,
0: yeah. we don't have any 401s down here because it doesn't fit with the interstate numbering scheme very well. Well, no? Nope. Nope.
2: Yeah, we have a 400 series, which basically means it's a large like, large number of lanes. I think four lanes at least, and uh, and big and fast and wide. But mm. uh, yeah. So.
0: so I think we talked about this before, but the, the interstates here, the last number determines whether it's north, south, or east, west, roughly. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so odd the odd even, ones are north, north, south, and the even ones are east, west. So, so that's like, so you got I-5 all the way through, I-95 are the north-south highways, as you go across the country from California to to the East Coast, and you know 10, 20, 30, all the way up to ninety, are the east the main east west interstates going from the south to the north. Uh, but then the ones with a, an extra digit in front, like a four or a one or or an eight, uh, are they mean different things? Like a four is a is a is a freeway that comes off of a main interstate but is a bypass around the city. So like you like the four hundred five oh, yeah. in L.A is is the bypass that goes around downtown LA and I-5 is the one that kind of goes straight through downtown LA.
1: So let me bring up how that can cause confusion because I have friends uh, who live in LA and when they came up here and we were driving around, they yep. we were driving on the I-5, you know, and it goes through mm-hmm. Seattle Yep. and then they saw a sound they're like, oh you have a 405 too? I'm like, yep Right. it yep. bypasses Seattle, goes through Bellevue around the lake and comes back on to intersect with the I-5 mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's so yeah. just a loop around the 405s, lake. There's many on the East Coast, there's many 495s, although pretty much every big city that the the main interstate goes through will have its own four something.
2: So welcome to the Californians.
0: (laughs) Bring it back to uh, (laughs) HTTP
1: codes. Uh, As long as we're talking about the 400 series, there is, uh, I believe, official support now for 418 418. I'm a teapot. Where (laughs) is the error response code that indicates that the server refuses to brew coffee because it is a teapot. This error is a reference of hypertext coffee pot protocol, uh, which was April Fool's joke in 1998. We'll we'll have that linked in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Look at the uh, mozilla.org website. Alrighty, Okay. Hmm. All
2: right, let's move on to some main stuff. So so what do you got here, Jaime? You got something from Apple again?
1: Yes, I have not seen this occurring because as we're doing this, it is just before April 12th in in my time zone. But apparently, starting at midnight, April 12th, 2018, in the user's local time zone, it will see the following message the first time they launch an app that only supports 32-bit in macOS high Sierra 10.13.4 and it says, quote, this app needs to be updated by its developer to improve compatibility. So if nice. you remember how we talked about this for the 32-bit to 64-bit transition for iOS sure. yep. uh, iOS 11, you're going to see the same thing on macOS. The
2: famous shaming, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: yeah, the developer shaming. So yep. uh, start getting ready for that. Wow.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I just noticed today on my iPad, I still have one app that is uh, 32-bit, but it's got a bunch of data in it. And the, again, I don't know if anybody realizes this is at home uh, drive at home. If you want to get the data, the data off of that, you can use iTunes to go in and grab the files. But uh, if you use, you know, the iTunes, I forget what they call it, that sort of drive iTunes well, transfer only, or only whatever.
0: If, only if it's got the file sharing entitlement.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, well, this, this app did, right? So, oh, okay. Because it used to have a, a, what do you call those, um, uh, what's that, web something or other service where you could set it up as a, as a sort of um, network service when you had it running and you could, um, oh, web dev, I think it was called, right? Uh, where you could basically if you're running the app, you could hit it by its uh, HTTP address to your to your um, iPad, and you could copy and um, pick up files on there like an FTP server kind of thing. But yeah, well that's that's good. Looking more, looking forward to more apps not being able to use, being used on my Mac. Great. I wonder if uh, CS6 has 32-bit code in it.
1: Well, if you want to know <laughs> what the damage is, this uh, Rs technical article does a very helpful job. So if you go to the Apple logo in the top left corner of your screen, click about yeah. this Mac, yeah, then you know assuming you're running 1013.4 hit the system report oh okay go into software applications and then sort the list by 64-bit intel no means the app is 32-bit and needs to be updated right and boy oh boy do i have a whole bunch
2: are you running uh, that version of High uh, Sierra? Let's see what am i running. I'm on uh, 13.3. Let's see for giggles and grins here.
1: What, what what have I got? That's the polite way of saying that. I don't even I don't even know what a lot of these are. A lot of these look like junk I should remove from my system. I'm glad to see these 32-bit things go away. How about that? That's my hot take. <laughs> Get rid of the bloat.
2: Bloat, bloat yeah.
1: Yeah, what, what is this stuff? I don't even know what this is. Must Stop. be like... Oh, oh like... uh Bloatware. Huh. You know what it's showing here, me here? It's showing me some things that are um, uh, Xcode projects that I downloaded, like uh, Instagram Kits or MG oh, Tile wow. Menu and, and other things that I've not done. But hmm. hello, here is GarageBand. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's a teapot calling the kettle black, if you ask me. <laughs> Maybe you should update that one to 32 bit, 64 bit.
2: All right. Well, speaking of blasts from the past, what about uh, this next one here, Jaime?
1: Huh, yeah, as long as you like reliving the the 1990s, apparently, Microsoft has open sourced their file manager. So nice. on uh, on Windows Ten, you can you can install that thing and and live life like we used to back in Windows like three or three point one. I think this interface looks like um, they've got the uh, source code under the oh, it's under the MIT source license, so you can do with it as you please.
2: Is this a, this? Yeah, this is the Windows Explorer, right? Or is it,
1: it eventually of- became or morphed into Windows Explorer? I think I don't know if that's quite accurate, yeah. uh, but at least from like from a tech Technical standpoint, but certainly from a user standpoint, you used to use the Windows File Manager, and then Explorer, uh, Windows Explorer, took over that role.
2: Yeah, I remember the um, the Windows NT had something like this too, right? Back in the day, very similar. So that would have been that would have been yeah, that would have been nineties. And I think about it, yeah, late night or mid nineties, I guess. Interesting stuff. Cool. Yeah. Oh, the horror! (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I've got a bunch of uh, Microsoft Office stuff that's all thirty two bit on my machine.
2: Oh, mine just loaded. Um, So you said you have to be running. Uh, you have to be running uh, 10.13.4,
1: right? Yes. I believe yeah. that is the latest version of High Sierra.
2: Yeah, I've got 10.13.3, and it doesn't show me, uh, it shows me versions. It doesn't show me whether anything's 32 bits per se. Yeah, you don't have
1: the 64 bit parenthesis Intel column no. on yours? No. no. So I, haven't okay.
2: I haven't updated uh, in, in weeks. So yeah, I have an there's, app- there's a pending update, but I haven't really paid attention to
0: it. I have an cool. application called Welcome to Leopard from Apple on my machine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Last month, Modified on May twenty first, two thousand nine. I had nice.
1: to delete that one. Man, no, you should wait until midnight. Get the screenshot and then tweet Apple support of like, hey, when are you going <laughs> to update this to sixty four bit?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, that'll help. That'll be helpful. <laughs> All right. So, well, next is me, and it was basically the I'm, uh, centered around. I was going to talk about uh, R W DevCon this weekend, um, but uh, Ray, thankfully, has posted a uh, Ray himself has posted a DevCon twenty eighteen post which will give me some talking points. But, uh, our co-host Tammy Coron actually did the keynote at RW DevCon uh, and she did a big talk, long talk about, uh, connections and how, you know, uh, as an introvert herself, she's able to have through connections and, uh, become a better, stronger person because of all the people she knows and she can, um, gather together with and, and make things better, like including this podcast. Right. Um, so it was a really good, uh, uh keynote. Um, the con, the, the conference, as I think mentioned before in, your, in previous years, it's a hands-on style conference where um, you don't just sit there and listen to people read off slides. You actually go through. They do read off slides, but you go through the uh, the uh, tutorials with the the instructor, uh, sort of, so sort of like an instructor-led um, uh, bunch of workshops. So on the first day, they had uh, four workshops. They had one on let me see if I can remember what they all were. One was on uh, machine learning, which is one I went to. There was another one on AR kit I'm drawing a blank on the other two were hmm anyway oh I've got my app here I can look it up hang on one sec real-time update oh they did a Swift algorithms workshop and that came back a little bit later and oh they had a practical instruments workshop which I kind of I'm sad I missed but this year uh, I don't think they I don't think they videotaped the um, the workshops in previous years but I believe this year they they videotaped them so if you if you were lucky enough to be a member uh, or, or an attendee um, you'll you may have access to those videos later on uh, When they come available, all of the all of the the talks were uh, videotaped, and I think uh, they'll probably team over at Ray Runner like we'll roll them out over time. Um, So in the in the actual in the conference, they didn't really in previous years they broke it down by you'd have a beginner, intermediate, and advanced uh, track. But this time they didn't seem to do that. They just kind of had enough content for uh, advanced people as well as intermediate and beginner um, in each section. So there was all kinds of different things. There was uh, serialization. I really enjoyed. The test-driven development one by um, um, drawing a blanket now Andy um, and uh, yeah it was it was a good time we had a uh, on our sort of game, fun and games night we had uh, James Dempsey hosted a RW trivia uh, contest where they broke us up into groups and we went through and answered questions on uh, various you know Apple and iOS related things that were like Swift um, examples and we had to answer whether they would compile or not and if they if if not why not that kind of thing um, so anyway there's a link here in the show notes for the post-mortem article by Ray um M... and it talks about all the, uh, lots of, you know, feedback from the attendees. Uh, basically, it got four out of like 4.5, around roughly four and a half stars in terms of its, uh, overall feedback. So, really good feedback from that. Um, if you attended, you got like a 500 page conference book, which had all of the materials from all the lectures. So, if, or, or, or sorry, all the sessions. So, if you missed a session, you could always go back and, uh, you can go back through and, and do it yourself. Um, and I believe like in previous years, they've made, um, the whole whole vault available um, later on. So um, that may or may not be true. Don't quote me on that, but uh, stay tuned if you're interested in that. But um, yeah, keep your eye on the site. They will uh, publish inspiration talks and as well as um, tutorials over time. Any questions?
1: Yeah, I've got some that are okay. related to the books, right? So they... Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the special surprise thing at the end of it. So Calvin and... who's from uh, Vancouver, Canada, and uh, uh, Vincent, they, they're they the two authors. They're the They're, they're the guys that run the the, um, the algorithm uh, group on GitHub that uh, they maintain for Ray Wunderlich and um, they did the workshop at the beginning of the week on or the beginning of the conference on um, Swift algorithms but they also, surprise surprise, they published a book called Data Structure as an Algorithms in Swift uh, for the attendees and it's a good introduction if you've not done any sort of algorithm stuff. Um, so do you have a question about that Jaime?
1: Well I'm interested in these books, the uh, Swift Data Structures and Algorithms Books and the design patterns by tutorials. Yeah, uh, from a strange perspective, not necessarily for me because I'm I'm fairly comfortable with data structures and algorithms. I'm fairly comfortable with design patterns. Um, definitely am a uh, strong advocate of the idea of people having the design patterns elements of reusable object oriented software by sure. Eric Gamma et Al. Um, copyright 1995. <laughs> um, because it's useful literature, and I've I've used this book uh, a few times just like within the past week for for stuff. Um, sure it's useful reference but it's tough right because uh it's not very it's not very accessible right Uh, like like reader reader friendly you mean or yeah because uh, again it was made in 1995 and and the patterns still pretty much hold true right like they're they're very classic patterns but the book itself uses a uh, case study of a document text editor which is kind of borderline of like do people even really do that anymore they you know parsing rtf parsing xml sort of thing it uses liberal use of uh, the uml the unified modeling language for representing diagrams of how these things interact and then on top of that its code samples are in c Right. So it gives you like every obstacle you could possibly hate if you didn't grow up through any of that era, right? And I, I was sort of at the tail end of uh, of that era, so at least I got some exposure to to that world going through through university around that time, right? And I think it's nice to have what I believe, as I've you know sort of asked people questions about this, I believe these are going to be more accessible to folks, particularly if you are starting with something like a Swift and you're not you know having to be like, oh yeah, do you do you vaguely remember how virtual functions work? C++. I only sort of do, (laughs) but certainly you're not going to deal with that too much if you, you know, started using Swift in 2014 and that was like your first programming language. So I'm very excited to get my hands uh, on a couple copies of these and then sort of give them the once through. And and hopefully they're the sort of things I can really recommend to more the junior dev side of things um, at the very least. I, I think a lot of senior devs have probably ended up with this content either through direct schooling or maybe just by experience. But I think it's great to have this sort of stuff available there for like, like the new reference book that uh, you know the younger or less experienced developer generation can get into.
2: Yeah, I mean the 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 the, uh, the design pattern book um, starts off with sort of you know, the basic intermediate or basic level um, uh, stuff. Like it it starts off with how to read a class diagram, which is fairly straightforward to a certain extent, right? Um, but it does you know model view controller. It does delegation. It does singleton. It does observer patterns as well as other ones in there. And then you know it moves on to more um, advanced ones model view of view model patterns, you know, um, that we all talked about, facade patterns, prototype patterns, adapter pattern, iterator patterns, factory patterns, you know, and then there's an advanced section as well. Um, so if you can work through uh, the stuff, I mean, again, it's very algorithm centered. So, I mean, if you haven't done these, these are the kind of things that are going to come up when you go looking for a job per se, or you get challenged by a whiteboard, or you just want to understand how these patterns work. This is kind of a very, re- really kind of useful book from that perspective right um and again it's written sort of in that same you know style that, uh, that they they write at Runner, like where it's you know it's accessible like i think like you said before right you know the analogies kind of make sense and uh they're, they're approachable right so yeah yes
1: i mean so i'll, I'll give two sort of as, as best i can concrete examples um of how i ended up using this bit of literature and work right so i identified a case where i felt pretty like in my gut told me mm, i think this could be a command pattern and rather Rather than sort of just going off of what I, you know, randomly remember of, you know, the pros and cons of that. I just went to go read the like five to six pages in the literature for the, for that design Like, let me just make sure I, under, I I covered all the cases of what that's supposed to be. Yep. That's pretty much what I expected. I'm going to move forward with this. The other thing that I did within the last week or so was, hmm, this other thing seems like maybe a builder might be appropriate. And I read the builder and I said, hmm, it's kind of nice, but that's a little too much horsepower for the need that I have right now. But I've got a way that I can get myself sort. Sort of partway there and I ended up using a, a totally different book uh, also from the 1990s looks like it's copyright 1999 uh refactoring improving the design of existing code that was helpful again it's not like the sort of book that I would read cover to cover as more of a reference sort of thing of like hey you know what i don't know like if you were like a like an architect uh oh uh what should i use for your, um I don't know let me see what the rules are around like the the thickness of the steel gauge that we should use when we're gonna build this tension bridge right like that's sort of how I use it you're, you're not gonna pull these out all the time you shouldn't be like oh i'm gonna use like every pattern possible because that's not what you want to do you you just want to be aware of like you know what i don't i don't need to reinvent the wheel here there's probably something off the shelf that i can use
2: Mm, yeah yeah, it's cool. I've, I've cracked the book on, on the, the printed book and um, started going through it. And I, sk- I skimmed through the uh, the uh, design pattern or the yeah, design pattern one. So, yeah. Cool. Any other questions about it? It's a great conference. What can I say? Good time was had by all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty cool that they do this post-mortem uh, blog post. Yeah. Out and about. So um, Of course, I, I look at the one went well. Um, my eyes sort of gaze down to the what could be improved. It's go. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. interesting that they, they talked about that. It's, uh, it's pretty easy to just talk about what went well and, and listening to what could be improved is, is pretty good
2: yeah I think a lot of people want um, want uh, another day <laughs> uh, that seems to be pretty pretty common uh, what well, yeah this no no autocomplete was uh, was a, a problem because you know the the uh, instructors had their screens up on um, you know they're in presenter mode so the fonts are huge and that kind of stuff and and the autocomplete get kept you know jumping in the way and, and blocking what the the instructor was typing so that was a bit challenging I think for some people but um, you know so at the same time as you're going through the thing, you also have the PDF of the of the, the lecture notes and the slides and stuff like that. So if you miss something that was being typed on the screen, you could always just go through the PDF and sort of follow along, or even be a little bit in advance in some cases if you wanted to to sort of go through. But uh, you know, um, and again, it's it's an un, unlike any other experience if you're if you're in a sort of learning mode, you know, to have you know, these uh, experts talking their way through it, right? So um, Renee Kesho from Elatson um, was there, and he his piece was on um, advanced unidirectional architecture. And that was a very heavy, uh, heavy um, workshop. Um, but yeah, like, you know, he gives you the, the his, his um, playground files are, are, you know, extremely well documented. So as you go through, you can sort of read, you can read what he's saying about each, each particular part of it, you know, and, then, and one of the playgrounds he has is like a complete running application. So uh, as he builds towards the, the finished piece, you can, you can either, you know, go through it with him or. Or just jump to the end and see how the whole thing's put together sort of thing, right? So it was really kind of cool to see how uh, how you would build a sort of really advanced um, application that way, right?
1: Right, right. Have, have we talked at all about the app architecture book from Objective-C.io? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Okay, so that's, that's another one that I'm interested in. The, the Objective-C.io from uh, Chris Eidhoff, Matt Gallagher, Florian Kugler. Right, uh, you're yeah. probably familiar with their blog posts or their uh, like videos where they're like two of them discussing some sort of, you know, software problem. Could be Swift, could be, you know, some sort of design problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got this book that is not available yet. Or, I mean, it's it's available in, in, like, preview mode, but it's not complete yet. It's coming out, uh, well, they aim to finish it in April 2018, so they they still got a few more weeks, uh, where they discuss a... Um, like six different application architectures that they use to compare and contrast when building the same app, right? So my understanding is they will show you not only like, you know, how this particular architecture works, like model view controller, uh, MVVM, you know, that sort of thing, but they'll also rebuild the same app using those different architectures to sort of give you the sense of like, well, what are the different trade-offs of these, right? right where cool, where yeah. are the, the gains and where are the pains? Right. Yeah. So it, it's, it looks like they have an ebook and some videos available here um if i end up picking this up i'll probably wait until it's complete but if you're you know, looking to get uh, the preview action you can get on that now
2: sure cool cool um all right
0: um so tim so maybe you on. should suggest to ray to uh, have a west coast uh version of of <laughs>
2: next year <laughs> Well, let's let's explain why it's in Virginia <laughs> first of all, because uh, he so actually he lives, lives in Virginia. Uh, yeah, he lives, yeah, he lives about two hours away. So yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's probably the main reason why it's over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, I, I, who knows? I mean, um, it seems to be pretty popular. It sells out quick, right? So uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there will be. But they, you know, these guys put a lot of work into into each of the, the things. They, I mean, they start the idea session in you know sometime in the fall, and then they work their way through it, and they, they practice, practice, practice right up to the you know the next couple of um, months, just before, weeks before, right? So, yeah, they put a ton of work into it. The, I watch these guys on Slack, and I'm just like, you know, you know, it, it mm-hmm. takes a ton of time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, teams and, like, you know, tech editors are, are, are second to none kind of thing, right? So the ones that work on the projects. And then they had one guy wrangling the whole thing, and he did a real good job. Um, his name is Eric Herber. Um Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, there's also a hackathon that they or hack night that they did. And so they had some student, uh, I think the student actually won the best app, right? Which was kind of cool. The ones that had the student scholarship, right? Um, yeah, so they had a number of... They had like... Uh, so IBM was there. So um, uh, David Okun was talking about... Um, and you guys know him, right? You've run into him on the West Coast, the left coast? Yep, um, David Okun
1: from IBM. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, so they had uh, they had an award for the best use of Ketura. There was... Um, I think Firebase was there. So they had the best Firebase app. And then they had the best app overall. And I think the students won that one, so... Yeah, it's cool, and of course, you know they had workshops with those guys too, uh, as well. Um, yeah, they did clean architecture. Oh, there was a couple of Android. Uh, that's the other thing too. Android um, Kotlin uh, sessions as well. And unfortunately, my computer was not being cooperative, so I had to jump out and go to another session. But uh, so I wasn't able to attend that one. But I was looking forward to that. But I'll, you know, of course, I got the materials, so I can go back through it again on my own. So I think, I think, you know, in future years they'll have uh, more, more uh, Android uh, stuff as well for those of you
1: driving at home who want to do Android right
2: but anyway let's uh should we move on to our picks are we ready for that sure mm-hmm. Yeah. all right so how many got a pick here
1: yes it's a blog post by the folks at uh, appcoda and it covers understanding git version control and how to use that in xcode 9 which mm. i found interesting I'll, I'll be honest i haven't actually stepped through this and tried it out myself um, mentioned on the show before i use a lot of the command line stuff i use git tower which we mentioned was in public beta for version 3 right. um, but xcode comes with visual stuff that you can use and they, they go Go through a a small example, just looking at the screenshots and and sort of browsing through that shows how you can use the version control stuff to create branches, compare differences between that. That looks pretty helpful because I I actually haven't used really, really used Xcode's internal tools for Git, so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I need to see what they have to offer.
2: Well, Mark and I have been using their Git for a while. It's a good article here too. Um, One thing that's nice in the latest version, I think Xcode nine was the first version where they added the ability to if you hadn't started. Project with Git. You used to have to go and quit Xcode and go and do a Git in it and do an initial commit um, and then open up Xcode and, and it would recognize the Git there. But uh, now you can actually create, start a repository while you're in an active project and, and then start branching off from there too. So um, I, I work a little bit in, in uh, when I'm working on my own projects, I work with Xcode's um, implementation and very rarely to go to the command line for it. I think it's kind of, it's almost caught up to doing command command line stuff. And
0: yeah. So I, I like the, Xcode implementation, especially the new stuff that they put into Xcode 11, where you can look at all your branches and see what the commits were for for any given branch. That's a real nice feature uh, directly inside yeah. Xcode. Uh, but I do have to say that uh, Xcode it's not perfect uh, for for Git. It does screw things up every once in a while. You got to be kind of careful. Uh, there there are times when you'll change a branch and it won't Xcode won't catch all the, the changes somehow. And oh really. Uh, yeah, it'll mark a lot of stuff as errors and, and pretty much the only way you can get rid of them is to close the project and reopen the project, even just building. The, the strange thing in this particular case is you can, you can build and it, and it runs. It's fine. It builds fine. It runs, but it's still showing those errors in the, in the, uh, in the error list in the left hand column. And the only way to get rid right. of them is to, is to close it down and start again. So there, there definitely are issues with Xcode. It's not perfect for merging to, it's it's uh it it, merging things like storyboards well i mean that's always a problem but uh that's you know it would be really nice if if apple had a a visual storyboard merging tool (laughs) that would Mm, be awesome right yeah but uh that's yeah i'm not holding my breath for that one uh the trick to to merging storyboards if if anyone has run into this and and hasn't figured it out yet is it won't let you open the storyboard because it's got the you know the merge conflict lines in in the the text file the xml file but you can open it as a text file and find them in there and then edit it and then and then once you've got it fixed uh you can open it up as an actual storyboard again
2: yeah we go through that all the time at uh our place so we 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 use source tree for most of our most of our people do um and then yeah if you you run into it you open it up in sublime edit or bb edit or something and fix
0: it and and the other the, the big things you can't do with with xcode yet are well there's several actually but you can't cherry pick you can't uh, rebase and you can't uh, do any kind of revert or re- or reset as far as I can tell. Yeah, so if so, you ever need so. to do any of those things, you need to go back to the command line, but yeah. I use it as much <laughs> for, for everything else. I, I use it as much as I possibly can.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yep. I think I, I use a combination. Like I said, I, I use either source tree and Xcode together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Source tree at work. Um, when I'm working on my own stuff at home, I use both combination. Um, but like, you know, as Tommy was explaining in uh, with his Git tower, I use source tree the same way because it gives, me a visual look at what's going on. So, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I've gotten kind of used to the edge cases of where the visual tools fall down. I'd be very curious to see what Xcode itself does for its Git version tool. The, historically, the problems I've had with visual Git clients like Smart Git and Git Tower and probably Source Tree, but nothing really jumps out at me, is they tend to lie when it comes to weirdo things like <laughs> uh, core data and it's sort of like mm. subfolder structure, yep. yeah. um, asset catalog cause it Mm, problems as well as, um, Probably the project file. I'm kind of remember, but basically things where like, whoops, there's like a hidden dot folder somewhere, and the command line always knows. It never fails. Uh, the Visual Tools may or may not catch that. So yeah. I'm hopeful that, yeah. that Xcode will know about that. It's like, for heaven's sakes, you know about core data. Just,
0: just show me that that thing changed so I can check it in. Common, a common bug that's been around for years now. Uh, and if you uh, haven't been burned by it, you will eventually. Uh, if you ever in in an asset catalog try to change the name of an asset so not the actual file names but the actual you know the labels name that you use of an asset change a, just a capitalization of any character but but the rest of the name is the same it will git will not recognize that you've made the change through if you do it through Xcode. oh really yeah hmm. oh interesting yeah. interesting. yeah so it will cause all all uh, sorts of trouble if you're not careful about it and it goes back to I mean this is this is kind of an old thing is that is that the Mac is is case insensitive. Right. Yeah. But Git is not case insensitive.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. yeah. That's interesting. It explains a lot because we've had, and I think Simulator isn't as well. Or is Simulator or the actual iOS devices aren't? Because we've, we've been burned by that before where the you know, the asset gets named with a lowercase and it's being yep. called by an uppercase in, in the file and yep. runs fine in the Simulator but doesn't run fine on the device. So Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Seen that
2: one. We Learned that one early, yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, the pro tip is you want to rename something, don't. Delete that, <laughs> add it back in as a new one and get it <laughs> correct rename it I've to never something been in-
0: crazy this- and then rename it back with the with the corrected uh uh capitalization if you if you want to do it that way hmm. right
2: but it sounds like you have to do a commit in between though. No, you don't, you don't necessarily have to do a commit in between. If you, choose, well, I mean, if you're doing, if you're doing Jaime's trick, right. You have to delete it. and update no, oh,
0: no, you don't, you don't actually don't have to commit it. You can, if you delete it, it'll mark the old one as deleted. And then you add the new one, it'll mark it, mark it, mark it as added. So that, that works. Okay.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, And you might even get lucky that Git might recognize what you're doing and say, oh, that's a move. So right. So you will your history there and you don't have to do the Git move command to, to patch that up. Right. Okay. Cool. All right.
2: Well, I've got here down on my pick. I've got Control Option Command G. And one of the uh, workshops we had at RWDevCon was by Andy Abusik, and it was um, test driven development. But during the talk, he also uh, interjected with a few of his keyboard commands that he likes. And the one I particularly liked was this one c- Control Option Command G. So if you're in the middle of running a test, uh, you know, you're, you want to run, you know, you click that little diamond thing in, in the interface to run that test, right? That individual test. But you can also hold down control option command G and that will run that particular test. So, like it'll run the last test you just ran, right? So mm-hmm. if you go back to the file and you're working in your in your, your file that's like your, your main project and you want to run that same. So you go in, you make some updates, uh, hit this command and it'll run that test again. So you don't have to go back to the test to run it, which is kind of cool, right? Um, also, if you're in the middle of editing a, uh, or editing a, um, a test, you can do com- control option. Option command U and it'll run that test and then of course then it sticks it into the memory and then you can run the command Control Option Command G again so it was super handy to do that really sped up the work because you know you write the test you know we're using test driven development so you write the test to fail then you go write the cl- the method that your class or whatever it is you're testing and then you come back and you know you run the test again or you update the test to make it pass right um, but you know so when we were working in on the project we actually just you know you go back to the Class, make the updates, make the changes you need to do, and then run the test again with this little quick little command. So, the keyboard commands in this particular case were super, super helpful. So, Eddie's uh, expression was, the Test is green, code is clean. So, oh, yeah. somebody was a Ghostbusters 1984. Yeah, player. yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. He also mentioned something else, what I had never heard before. A pono, a plain old, plain old .ns
1: object. Ever heard of that one? Pono. I, ha- <laughs> I haven't heard that one. It, it, it rhymes kind of funny, so it, it, it took me aback when I heard it. Um, I've heard of pojo for yeah, plain POJO. Old Java object. Yeah, yeah. Same Poco idea. for plain old uh, C sharp object. I've never heard it used for .ns objects. So that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, Today I learned that one.
2: Pono. Yeah, I made a note.
1: Made a note of that one too.
2: Yeah. So cool.
1: Yeah, th- I, I would definitely give a thumbs up plus one to those keyboard commands because uh, as you mentioned the ability to rerun the tests um, yeah. from wherever you are i mean sometimes you can just use the assistant editor but i've definitely been in cases where oh this is like in the base class or uh, this isn't actually related to you know the problem isn't in the thing i'm looking at it's in one of its you know companion objects or something and sure. being able to run that wherever you are is great because you don't have to like just navigate back to click the little diamond and I really do like using the the other one you mentioned, the Control Option Command U, uh-huh. because you can control more or less the granularity of tests. It could be singular test if you have yeah. your cursor in that that one like test, blah blah blah, or it could be that whole suite if you have you know twenty tests in that same XC test case. Yeah. Just put your cursor in the right spot and it'll run all of them, so you can check whatever you want, uh, do whatever meets your particular needs.
2: Right, right, yeah, cool. Uh, oh, one little bonus thing here, which I forgot to mention. So one of the, the I mean, the inspiration talks were great and I could probably talk about each one for at length, but one that was of particular interest to this podcast was Philip Shoemaker, who used to be the original guy behind the App Store, right? So he gave us 10 lessons learned. Um, he was hired in 2009. He was complaining to Apple about the whole process in 2008 about get, trying to get an app into the App Store and uh, so much so that they said, okay, well, come and work for us and fix it, right? Um, so he he went through. I'm going to run through these real quick, but you know, um, he talked about some of the some of the tricks that people would do to try and um, trick the the app store. He was saying that apps generally get about 13 minutes for new apps and about six minutes for an update, if, in terms of how much time the reviewer spends on it. Now, there, a lot of things are automated now, so that, that that helps. But initially, they were doing them all by hand, so that's why it took a long, long time for developed things to get through. Um, some of the Things that people did in terms of like one of the points he made was about the uh, uh, what number eight was you know, it, where there's money, there's fraud and money laundering. So they had a lot of issues with that kind of stuff um, in, in apps uh, in cases, and they, they figured those ones out. But he was talking about the developers or Wiley, it was number nine takeaway. Um, like, for instance, have you guys heard of 18X? Do you know what that is? 18.X? I have not. No. So 18, a- 18.X is the beginning of Apple's uh, IP address, oh. right? So people would write into their apps to look for eighteen x. So you mentioned, you mentioned there was some sort of driving service app, um, that would, uh, present the app in one way. Um, and then it would, uh, you know, so if it was coming, if the request was coming out of Cupertino, it would behave in one way, but if it was anywhere else, it <laughs> would do something different. Right. Uh, some people actually wrote functions called in underscore Cupertino, uh, and they would basically, you know, run the app one way if it was, it was inside of Apple. Um, what else did he give us something? It was some really good, interesting a- angles on, on what people would do. Like one of the things he, he said, talked about doing was the fake reviews, right? So you know how it's, it's against the rules to, to have fake reviews and you have those, those review farms and stuff like that. He said sometimes there have been some cases where instead of reviewing, your writing review, fake reviews for your own app, you'd write fake reviews for your competitors app, right? So that they would get caught for doing that. And they, they're like, what? I didn't do this kind of thing. And, and uh, get them out of your way, if you will. Right. So, Uh, Lots of interesting stories coming out of uh, things that developers would do. A lot of bait and switch where the app would do one thing. um, What was the one example he gave? It was uh, Hot Rods, right? Um, There was an app called Hot Rods where basically, you know, when it went through the review process, it was all, you know, web-driven content that was being put into this app. And it was, you know, Hot Rods, like, you know, souped-up cars and stuff like that, right? Um, But when the app actually got into the app store, they switched the, the content that went in there and they were like, you know, male anatomy if you can imagine, right? Yeah. Or the hot
1: rods, right? Anyway. It, it's interesting the, the stats on how much review time people had because it would sort of match, match up notionally with what I've seen historically because you know you have to give the Apple reviewers like a test account, right? If, if you have yeah, a, yeah. A, a, an app that requires login and you can kind of tell. It's like, mm, yeah, we well, can just look at server logs. When did they log in? When did they stop using Activity? And yeah, you know, less than half an hour for sure. And it always made me wonder. It's like, so it went into review review at seven and it got out of review at eight. They stopped using it before eight, you know, before seven 30. What was the rest of the time? <laughs> Were they filling a document? Were they getting some donuts? What was, what was happening there? I, I really would have loved to have that, asked yeah. that individual, that question. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, he was, was saying that like, you know, initially they went from 700 reviews a week to 80,000 reviews a week as of 2016 when he left Apple. So quite a, quite a growth in terms of uh, the number of things, right?
1: Yes. That is an insane amount of scale.
2: Yeah. So there was, a, it was an interesting interesting talk. It'll be interesting to see, see if that one comes out on video. But I'm pretty sure f- um, Philip is available for house parties and uh, <laughs> other things. If you want some sort of entertaining uh, lecturing, right? So, yeah. Daniel Steinberg was there. He did a really interesting uh, talk. Uh, he told a couple of really bad uh, card tricks. And one of them actually was turned out to be an explanation of um, pass by value and pass by reference, right? So we had all these guys holding cards and other people, you know, holding on to them is because they were holding references to them kind of thing
1: by analogy right so it's good good talk yeah <laughs> so it's like uh like a like a pen and teller trick but yeah, pretty like, much with yeah, dad yeah jokes big, big
2: giant cards right yeah right so he'd had one he had one guy who was like immutable he was a struct, right so he had the card in his hand and if he wanted to if he wanted to uh, uh change him he had to get rid of the guy and get another guy <laughs> and give him a card <laughs> yeah so it was, it was a really interesting I, I wish i could remember the 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 Card trick itself, but yeah, it's pretty interesting. But anyway, that's, uh, that's yeah, that's my pick, uh, the keyboard command and some follow up from our WDF gone Sorry, what does that keyboard command do? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, you need it now? <laughs> no, I, I, I actually I was busy slacking and I missed that, yeah. but I was wondering what that keyboard command does.
2: Oh, uh, control option command U or control option command G runs the last test you just ran. Oh, okay. Okay. From anywhere. So Here. if you
1: yeah. yeah. Paired up with Control-Option-Command-U, which will run uh, right, a particular test. Could be a whole test suite, like an XE test case, or it could be just a singular test function within a test case. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And Command-Shift-U runs all the tests, right? Doesn't it?
1: Uh, Command-U command command runs all you. tests. I don't command know what Command-Shift-U. Sh- command Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know what's basic and what's in our own particular setup. Yeah. Anyway, mm. anyway,
2: that's all I got for this week. So, hey, Hame, if people want to find you on the intro, whatever they look... I'm on Twitter as at Dev the Hair. All right, Mark, if you want to get a hold of you, how other Mark than Slack, how they get <laughs> Other than Slack, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and my name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine is the best way to get my attention. And
1: until next week, we will say bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. That was another MTJC episode for the History Books. I'm sometimes host and friend of the show, Greg Heo. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc If you have questions or feedback, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes, recommending us to a friend, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website. That's mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. And interesting uh, politically I've also watched in dismay and amusement as the uh, the Facebook Senate inquiry has gone on yeah. yeah yeah I haven't been able to
2: catch most of that but I've caught some of the highlights you know on the news and stuff like that but uh, interesting stuff
1: what, what have you got for us highlight highlight wise it's bad from every from every angle I mean uh, Facebook and Zuckerberg actually come out of it reasonably well because the senators were oh, yeah. clearly not prepared adequately to handle yeah. this sort of topic. So they asked him really hmm. dumb questions, or they were just doing grandstanding, or some combination
0: thereof. Um, yeah, one one of the senators asked him. So if you don't charge for your service, how does your company make money? <laughs> right. And Zuckerberg just pauses and says, "We sell ads." Yeah. And that's the whole reason he's there, right? Is because of the ads that he's that he's selling right. To oh, is that <laughs> right? Oh, he's selling ads to Russians, right? And so right. Oh, okay, that's the whole source of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, right? I think um, some other ones that were in the the grandstanding area where uh, ted cruz basically trying to weasel his way into getting zuckerberg on the record to say that facebook was basically um censoring conservatives oh, which really? obviously obviously they're not going to say regardless of whatever the truth of the matter is but he was that's all he was trying to do he was like trying to get it from every angle he could and right. zuck stayed the Zuckerbot and stayed cool calm and collected Zuckerbot. yeah <laughs> that's what i started calling it because he looks so bad i don't know if it's Harsh lighting where he's not eating well, but this is not the Zuckerberg <laughs> I'm used to seeing at, you know, Facebook F8 conference, right? Like, so why, I, I mean, this goes off into uh, Spockcast type of material. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, Victor von Doom, also known as Dr. Doom for the Fantastic Four, well known for having Doom bots that would act as if they were Dr. Doom except oh, really? when they were yeah. in his presence. So the, the Fantastic Four would always catch him, like, oh, it's just a robot. That's what it felt like here. Like, it was a Westworld styled host that was almost, but not quite like Zuckerberg.
2: Yeah. Pretty scary. Yeah. yeah.
1: The other yeah, uh, grandstanding one was, uh, unfortunately, from my own home or not home state, but you know, current resident state, uh, mm-hmm. Maria Cantwell, senator. I was like, so, Palantir, some would call them, Stanford Analytica. Palantir? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like, pause. and was like, wouldn't you agree? It's like, you didn't ask him a question. <laughs> you, did, you, you didn't even raise, you didn't even have the rising pitch at the end that might make it seem like a question. Of course, the Zuckerberg didn't respond. You didn't ask it a question.
0: Wait, who asked him that?
1: That was Maria Cantwell.
0: Oh,
2: okay. Wow. Crazy.
1: Yeah, or the other guy, I, I don't remember which senator it was, like, alright, so you know, who are your competitors? And they don't really have a great specific one, so Mark tried to go through, like, the litany of potential ones, uh, depending on which aspect of Facebook you're talking about. And this senator cuts him off, like, no, 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 look, like, if I got a problem with a Ford, I can just go buy a Chevy, you know? It's like, well, <laughs> it's not that simple. There is nothing in the world even remotely like Facebook.
0: Well, that's what, uh, that's what they were trying to trap him into saying right because because then they get them on monopoly issues oh really uh, yeah but it doesn't even yes, apply exactly. in the
1: united states right like given the way that we've handled monopoly is different than the europeans the europeans would be like oh we we do it for competition and in the united states we do it based on harm to consumers which is the opposite here right like they're trying to get facebook to charge money instead of using ads Oh, like if you can't, if they couldn't decide to prosecute Google, there's zero chance they could decide to
0: prosecute Facebook. It would not make sense. I don't know. I think they're looking for a scapegoat. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and you know, I, I don't think Facebook has clean hands in all this. Uh, oh, definitely not. So, you know, so I, I wouldn't be unhappy to see Facebook face some consequences for all this. But the problem is Congress is so is going to be so ham handed that whatever they do, it's going to cause problems for the tech industry as a whole.
1: Yeah, right.
0: That's the that's yeah. problem mm <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the only one that could even be vaguely good for the industry would be to break up Facebook itself, because everything else they would try to do to regulate would just strengthen its grip by making it more difficult for competitors to get to the same spot. Yeah. But well, what does breaking up Facebook accomplish? How does What does that look like?
0: Baby right. Bell style, like AT&T, stuff that was proposed for Microsoft. It's- so they might like split off Instagram and split off oh, WhatsApp right. yeah. into separate companies.
1: Hmm. Yeah, maybe start slicing up all right, Facebook Messenger is its own Thing, yeah. Facebook login or the news feed might be their own thing. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's so weird because it's a singular product. It's it's not like when they were talking about Microsoft, like, all right, well, let's keep this browser thing separate from Windows. let like keep Windows separate from Office. This would be like splitting up Microsoft Word itself, which would be really hard. Oh, you you can type words, but you can't spell check them, or something yeah. really yeah. weird and awkward.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny. I look at it like a, like it's a you know it's a startup essentially that that grew. And grew, and grew and grew and grew and grew. And never, I don't know if it ever really had any decent governance. So do they have a board of directors at Facebook? Yes, they, they must, do. They Part must. They must now, state, right? Actually. Yeah, so, yeah. But
0: so, but the problem is that. Uh, Google does this too, actually, uh, that, that the investors have been so sheepish, <laughs> complacent that, right. that, uh, you know, Zuckerberg just has complete control over, over the, uh, the number of shares. So he's a, he's still 60% owner of, of, uh, right. right. Yeah. And I mean, it's a little bit different than Google. Google has many owners, but they don't have vit- voting rights, which is crazy in, in the Facebook case. It's, I believe that there are, well, there may or may not be voting rights but but regardless you know Zuckerberg still has a 60 percent ownership so it doesn't matter if anybody else has voting rights because whatever he wants just happens so sure, yeah so the board of directors he I think he's also the chairman of the board of the directors too Ah, uh, right so, yeah. if well, so not the chairman of the board and the CEO then pretty much and 60 owner then pretty much nothing anyone can do except I, I
2: do get that those notifications saying that you know there's bo- voting for the board or whatever from Facebook just like I do from Apple right yeah so does that mean that they have have voting rights or some style of voting rights?
0: Well, voting for board members is a little bit different, uh, potentially a little bit different. It depends on the, you know, bylaws. Of the, it depends on how the company's set up. It, it may mean, though, that there are, yeah, that there are the forty the other 40% that Zuckerberg does and owns are also voting shares, so everybody gets a vote. It's just Zuckerberg has 60% of the vote from yeah, start, right. yeah so it doesn't matter what your vote means. Or what yeah,
2: I saw a report on the news today talking about how, uh, you know, as well as talking about the hearings, but also talking about how the, the stock went down and then Back up again, and and just by going up that little bit, Zuckerberg ended up with, with three billion dollars or something like that. Yeah, um, based on the increase, you know, notwithstanding the fact that he would have lost that the day in the days preceding, right? But, oh, he did. He did lose a ton of money. Yeah,
0: yeah, it went down.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's like an episode of Silicon
0: Valley, really. You know. Yeah, um, kind of is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Huli is was clearly modeled after Google, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. But um, uh, actually, I'm not sure if there is a Facebook analog on Huli on a uh, Silicon Valley, a, a direct one at least. I mean, I'm sure there's parts of it and mixed in with Huli.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking on the way to work today that they're going to have to do like the the social network part two or. You know, the Empire Strikes Back, or something. You know, the rise
0: and fall <laughs> of of the Facebook Empire.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, it's funny because when you look at it in, in in context of what they're talking about, it has actually grown quite a bit, right? Um, in terms of in terms of where you know how how it's grown, how how the company's grown, and how much you know how many members it has, and you know, its kind of influence and that kind of stuff, right?
0: So, oh yeah, it's grown in, insanely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. So it wasn't the it wasn't the uh, NSA filter as across the border that that was causing the problem.
2: then. NSA filter,
0: National Security Association.
2: <laughs> we were all in the same country, so why would it matter? Oh,
0: right? oh because oh, maybe because they were uh, monitoring you because you were a, a furner. Well, you furner. Were a in the
1: country. <laughs> yeah, Tim, you were you were complaining about being in the United States and not being able to view some sort of video because they clearly noticed that yeah, you were Canadian. Like,
2: what, what is up with that? What was I that? I have no idea. I don't know. I, for some, I was I was sitting in the air. Airport at um on my way out and there was some video oh from Saturday Night Live. It was uh the Black Jeopardy skit that they did, right? And uh Uh-oh. So I went to play that and so so NBC blocks um, I can't watch NBC here in Canada like because either NBC blocks it or CRTC blocks it right so I'm sitting in the airport in Reagan Airport and I click on the link and it says you can't watch this because it's not available in your country and I'm like I'm in the
1: freaking United States of America you know so I mean, I how mean did, it- did you I, what I didn't ask is, was your website like snl.ca or something Like no no it was
2: just a like it was just, a, like a, it was just a regular old, uh, you know, NBC link off of YouTube, right? I think maybe they look at the carrier on the on the device. Could that be? Like, I can't
0: think of any. Th- I mean, I was using an IP an American but IP. How right? do you know it wasn't something that isn't viewable in America? There's plenty of. It stuff, was something.
2: It? It, no, no. This is this is totally viewable in America. So I jumped. I think I jumped on the uh, the Reagan a um, uh, Wi-Fi or yeah or turned turned on Tunnel Bear, I can't remember which one, but I, w- I was able to watch it after a few minutes after I figured that out. But I, oh, okay. but I, it, it just it just struck me weird that so
0: through your cellular I, network you were not able to but through your through wi-fi you yeah could. yeah i, I think yeah, so okay it probably has to do with something about the fact that you're roaming or something like that it knows yeah where, it
2: where must recognize that i'm in a yeah. canadian inside american soil or whatever yeah yeah like you said mark the nsa is monitoring me <laughs> they're
0: monitoring everything
1: that's right yeah that's right all right. So you- <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by Slack. Slack, <laughs> connecting the world one person at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Annoying
2: the Annoying the world one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of, bunch of randoms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Remember when everybody was so obsessed with uh, email inbox zero, where you didn't have any mm-hmm. you know, emails that needed to be triaged or looked at, I think around the same time, people got really excited. It was like, Oh yeah. Slack helps me, you know, with email inbox zero. Oh, and really? now people yeah, realize like, wait a minute. Works. Yeah. Now I have too many slacks. I'm in too many darn slacks as a yeah. whole. And then too many channels within each individual slack. And I can't find anything because search may not be, good and it's not exactly conducive to like a documentation structure yeah
0: yeah
2: it can be, it's it's funny how, how um, interesting, it you know, how disruptive this stuff gets, right? And uh, and you, you would think you couldn't get things worked work on, but when, I'm glad I learned a few years ago that you just have to have to remain focused and, and tune out, you know? Like, just because you get an email in doesn't mean you have to deal with it right away. And the same thing with Slack, right?
1: Yeah, I probably need to do a better job of that personally. I had, a, a, like, a weirdly productive day, and it was by complete accident. You know, I, I had my normal day in the morning, and then, oh, I'm gonna go meet a friend for lunch and that turned into like a two or three hour lunch wow i said oh no like i'm gonna have to make up all this time (laughs) to do the things i actually needed to do so i was like well it's five let me let me eat some uh some dinner you know and between 8 p.m and 11 p.m i was like holy smokes like i banged out a lot of code what happened oh is it because there's literally nobody on slack right (laughs) now (laughs) because all the normal (laughs) people did you know nine
0: to five it's true yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i get the most work done if i go into the office a little bit early because i I
2: forgot you guys are both on, you both, well, mind you go into work every day, right, Mark? But, uh, and Jaime, you're doing the remote thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, most of us are on, the, or at least on my team, are on Pacific time. You've got, you know, one person who's over there in Central time and suddenly a couple of people who are in Eastern time. So that can be a little challenge. Like, oh, I need to have like core hours so I can get some info to them. And they sort of run at a little bit of an advantage because they're, you know, starting at 6 a.m. Pacific because it's 9 a.m. there and, Mm-hmm. i bet you they're they're pretty um i don't know it, it, you kind of have like heads down time by accident right you're not like if somebody does wake up like i have woken up early and like, oh let me ping somebody because I, I know they're they're up on the east coast maybe i should do that and shift my hours a little bit so i can get some quiet time either early in the morning or uh, later at night mm. also there i noticed there was less contention on the jenkins box <laughs> my pr was the only one it was building so i had the entire death star battle station imac pro churning away on my uh, my Swift files. So you have one Jenkins box. There are multiple, but the mobile team has one that generally meets uh, okay. the needs of, of iOS and Android. It, it gets right. a little rough on uh, Code Freeze Day when everybody's trying to scramble to get their PRs in.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so to have one slave on that box, or
1: I don't know the full setup because I'm not involved with that team. But um, I think some of the Android stuff is farmed out because the Android tool set runs on anything, whereas the Mac stuff, or the, sorry, the iOS stuff has to run on a Mac, right? So, oh, okay. so I know our stuff is always on the pro itself. It's not farmed out to another box. How big is your team, Mark asked? Yeah. Split roughly down the middle between iOS and Android. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you should read the Ray
2: Raywin lookbook so you know what they've read. <laughs> <laughs> you do the tests.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, are there tests? In the, you mean you mean are there?
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the the algorithm book is written for interviews, right? Oh, so, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As well as, as well as, uh, you know, for education. But yeah, they yeah. do mention interviews at the beginning.
1: It's getting to be the season for it changing. Obviously, it to be the season for tech stuff. I got the, um, the local invite to go to Google I.O. Extended in Kirkland. So not, not the, the big show in Mountain View. Um, so that's nice. I get to see what, you know, spend some time, see what the Google folks are, are doing. And the interesting thing to me, I, I mentioned it in Slack, is that it's either a huge coincidence that their parking situation, maybe they're building some buildings, or, man, they probably are clamping down on things after the YouTube thing. Because it was really surprising that you couldn't drive there. They were like, hey, we've got these lift codes. Get free ride but you can't park here on our campus.
0: Well, I know that parking at the Google campus here and Facebook campus here are just impossible. Uh, at Facebook, they have valet parking, actually. You drive up to the, the parking lot and drop off your car and they park it somewhere.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and in, in this case, the, the Kirkland site is quite spacious and, and very very accommodating when it comes to parking. Hmm. Um, I, was, I was a little bit surprised, but it makes sense to me. I'll probably end up parking at a parking ride kind of close and then just taking the lift in. Now that uh, now that Chris Latner is bringing more Swift stuff to the forefront, Front at Google, I'm kind of excited that maybe they'll announce something there too.
2: Are you going to Google I/O?
1: Not the not the one in Mountain View, not the official one. Oh, not the big one that you pay money. money. Yeah, I'm going to the one that's uh, uh, co-broadcasting. You know, they'll they'll have it up on the big screens in their conference rooms, and they'll give us swag and food and stuff. Hmm. Largely hanging around with the the Google developer community. I'll probably wear my or my disgusting orange uh, Swift shirt, just because, just to let them know. Yeah, if anybody asks, I'd be like, Hey, man, what about the TensorFlow and Swift stuff—that's Google too, right? Just wave the wave the uh, wave the flag there. Mm. Another thing I'm interested in is—I uh, probably touched on it a little bit past uh, last episode—is the GoLang language. I want to start experimenting with that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, just to try something different. It's backend, and I mean, I think Swift is pretty good, but sometimes yeah. I feel like uh, it's Kotlin. Well, because I want something a little bit further away, both in terms of the shape of the languages, where I I, I know less about Kotlin and it's yeah, whatever. Foibles it might have, but Swift sometimes feels like, man, it's just unnecessarily complicated in some spots. Yeah. And Go is like, there's like 10 words here, use these, yeah. <laughs> right? It's like the opposite of like, we give you nothing, uh, keep it as basic as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll try doing that from like uh, just more like personal project, just hacking around on stuff. Not, nothing too serious, but just trying that sort of side of things. Mm-hmm. Back in dev, Go stuff probably leads naturally into Docker and Kubernetes if I can get around to that. And uh, the Google. Google campus will be good to, to ask folks about resources and best ways to get into that. Well, mm-hmm. oh, there's also a um, a Go conference that is coming up here in Seattle, like July 30th. I want to say somewhere around there. It's a one day thing. It's like a hundred bucks, so it's it's pretty cheap. So I'll probably end up attending that, taking a day off. What is is that like a Monday? Yes, it is. July 30th is a Monday. We'll see how that goes. They also have they also have a uh, an open call for proposals or call for papers. And they have like beginner topics too I'm like hmm, wonder if I can hack something together in time for July. But as it is, I already now to think about it, I really do have to go update my presentation that uh, that broke when the Watson API changed. I'm fix that before I, uh, I go to Atlanta. But at least I was able to get the local Seattle Xcoders folks It got me on the schedule the week before that conference. so I'll, I'll have a, a test run uh, in front of a, a live audience that'll be good. Two. Sounds good. Talk. Right. See you later. Talks later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: later. Bye. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.